I'd like to say good morning. I greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here with you here at Bethel. I was uh, blessed by the first two songs that Clayton led this morning. Uh, the first one was Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. And uh, that is my desire this morning is to lead us closer to the cross. The title of the message this morning is The Way of the Cross, Identifying with Jesus in His Death. And the text is taken from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 to 16. I invite you to turn there. We will read that in a few minutes. King Friedrich William III of Prussia found himself in trouble. He was running out of money. Wars had taken a lot of toll on his kingdom, and he was short of finances. He thought about how he could raise some money, so he asked for volunteers. He asked throughout his kingdom that people, that the ladies primarily, would bring all their jewelry in and donate it to the kingdom. And so they did. And in, in exchange for their jewelry that was melted down to make gold and silver, he gave them a little iron cross, a little cross that was made of iron, very cheaply made, that they could wear in place of that jewelry that they no longer had. And uh, there, it was inscribed, the little uh, iron cross was inscribed, I gave gold for iron. And the interesting thing about this whole thing was that the ladies were very proud to wear those little iron crosses. And they were very happy to do that. Not so much because the jewelry was flashy or beautiful, but because of what it represented. It represented a sacrifice that they had given for their king. For their king, they had given thousands and millions of dollars worth of jewelry and had gotten these little iron crosses. And it became very fashionable for them to wear these little iron crosses. It was the order of the iron crosses established. When we as Christians sacrifice for our king, we are given a cross. That is a symbol of sacrifice for the Lord. And as Christians, we don't wear them. We don't have a little iron cross to wear, but we wear a cross nevertheless. The message this morning is a little bit of a somber one, and I'm thinking there and meditating before the service. It's not a good-feeling, warm, fuzzy kind of message, but it's going to be, I hope, a challenge to all of us to Take another look at the cross of Christ and what that really means to us. I want to read the text. Let's stand together to read Hebrews 13, verses 11 to 16. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood, his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 
For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You may be seated. Just a few words on this text. It's getting down to the end of the book of Hebrews, and it seems to be, me to be a very important portion that uh, the apostle, or we don't know exactly who it was that wrote this book, but the writer to the Hebrews wanted to include in his last part of his book. The blood of Jesus is very meaningful to us as Christians. We understand the blood of Christ. It was shed on the cross. When, he, when Christ was crucified on the cross, the piercings through his body, the nails through his wrist, the, maybe the scourging that had happened, the, the large spike through his ankles, wherever, there was a lot of blood. And that blood was shed, we know, for, to make atonement for sin. And that blood is adequate for the sins of the whole world, for those who accept that by faith. And we understand that, and that makes a lot of sense to us. We understand that part of it, and we're very glad that that happened. We are, we, we, we are very happy that, that Christ atoned for our sins, and we don't have to, to die in sin, that our sin is taken care of. But there is more to Christ there in, in his cross experience than the blood. The blood is only a part of the cross experience. By faith, we also died with Christ on that cross. So there is a death experience that we need to relate to beyond the blood of Christ. Every day, as we take up the cross, we experience death along with Christ. There is suffering and death daily. The disgrace that Hebrews here talks about, that Christ bore out into the outer, uh, away from the city, out onto the garbage dump where he was crucified, was the cross. It was a symbol of disgrace and of death. And the writer to the Hebrews is asking us, his readers at that time, and us today, to identify with Jesus, to also go outside the camp, and to bear a cross. Take up our cross. We, each one of us, if we're Christians, have been granted a cross. It is an instrument of death that we are to put on our shoulders and carry, symbolically, and join Christ outside the cross. Popular Christianity doesn't preach a lot about this kind of cross. They preach the blood of Christ, and I'm glad that they do, and that we do. But there is more to Christ's death on the cross than the blood. A real cross is not a popular Christian topic. The cross that we must 
carry. It's not attractive. It doesn't feel good. It's rough and it's heavy at times and involves separation and disgrace and sacrifice. It's so easy to forget about that cross. We'd like to forget about it sometimes. But what is the cross? That's the crux of the message this morning. What is the cross? What does it mean? What does it mean to me personally? What does it mean to take up our cross? Is it optional for a Christian to take up his cross? Is that something that super Christians do? Should I be embracing the cross? I'm going to look at the imperative that Christ gave. And it's found in Luke 9, verses 23 to 24. And he said to all, Jesus speaking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's a threefold imperative that I want to look at this morning. If I want to be a Christian, he's saying, if I want to be a Christ follower... If I want to be serious about following Christ, I'm going to have to take up a cross. A verse that I want to just mention in passing also is Luke 14, 27, where he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's a very strongly worded statement. As a Christian, that gives me but one choice. I don't have options beyond the one choice. We must be willing to bear our cross if we want to be a disciple of Christ. There is no other way. This is not an optional thing. The threefold imperative is this. Number one, Jesus is asking anyone who would want to follow him is to deny himself. We must deny ourselves. What does that mean? To deny myself. I am, I am. How can I deny myself? I think we don't consider that phrase enough. It means to disown self. It means to deny that I even know self. It means to break a relationship with self. It's the same word that was used when Peter denied Christ. And when Peter denied Christ, he said, I don't know the man. I don't know him. He's nothing to me. Denying self is breaking a relationship with self, which is our old man, our old way of living, is to renounce it, to forsake it, to break a relationship with it. So first of all, if I want to come after Christ, I must deny myself. Ephesians 4, verse 20 says, As the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It means to to make a clean break with our old way of living. The second imperative is to take up his cross daily, The daily raising of the cross to our shoulders, if you can visualize it that way. 
We're not weirdos. We don't go walking down the road. You probably have seen somebody already like I have. He's got a cross. He's walking down the road. To make it a little easier, he's got a, uh, a wheel at the back of it. But he's walking down the road and people are looking at him. Oh, whoa, look at this guy. He is merely demonstrating in an outward fashion what we should be doing every day. And I'm going to, to hope and pray that after today, you will symbolically do this, that you will think about taking up that cross when you get up in the morning and taking it with you throughout the day. The same instrument of death that Jesus carried and died on, we are to raise also to our shoulders. It's a symbol of torture and suffering. It's our personal instrument of death. If we want to follow Christ, we must daily take up that cross. And the people of Jesus' day were under no illusion as to what a cross meant. I didn't realize, just reading the Gospels, you probably won't see it, but historians will tell you that there were many, many, many crucifixions that happened during the time of Christ. Thousands of them, literally, that happened. And the people watching the little procession that would go down through the street were under no illusion what was going to happen next. There was this person, probably a, rebel, a person who rebelled against Rome for some reason, and he was given a cross to carry through the place of his execution. And people watching, I can just see the horror in their faces. Oh, man. That man is going to die today. He's going to die a cruel, cruel death. And to be a disciple of Christ is to do a death march. That's not overly dramatic. It is a death march, not a physical death, but a, a death to our old self. We, every day, begin a death march. We begin a death march by taking up that cross. The cross represents suffering that is ours because of our, of our relationship to God. It's identifying with Christ. It's being willing to follow Christ as he walked to his death. The third imperative in this verse is to follow me. Number one, deny Yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Follow Christ. That's what Christ did. Then the man who loves his life will lose it, John says in, uh, Jesus says in John 12, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So it involves following Christ. This is the imperative that I want to set as a basis for our message this morning. What is our cross? What is it really? We know it's not a literal wooden cross. That would perhaps be easier in some ways to, to do. In a physical sense, you could carry a cross around. People today don't carry crosses around. They wear these little smooth gold symbols around their neck and it hangs down there's a little cross and they don't have any clue what they're doing by what that represents i heard about one young lady went up to into the jewelry counter was asking for a cross she wanted a little gold cross to wear you know and she uh, she 
the, uh, the, 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 the sales lady there is like, which one do you want? Do you want the one that's just bare or do you want the one with the little man on it? They have no idea what a cross really is. What is a cross? I ran across an illustration that I think means more to us than the cross. There's a businessman who is selling, or was at least, full-scale replicas of Florida's infamous electric chair. There's this businessman who is, has manufactured replicas of Florida's electric chair. It's called Old Sparky for obvious reasons. John Pauley of North Carolina charges $995 for his models of Old Sparky. The 75-year-old death chair that's just one of a few that are still in use. For a few dollars more, customers get a t-shirt that says only sissies do the injection. So you can get a t-shirt along with the electric chair. Though Paulie won't give numbers, he says his internet and radio ads have yielded sales to bar owners, a sheriff, and even a judge. He admits he's a bit warped, but insists that the venture is all in good fun. Fascination with the electric chair is nothing new. In the late 1890s, King Menelik of Ethiopia heard about the introduction of electrocution in the U.S. Intrigued, he ordered three electric chairs from the States, forgetting they wouldn't work in a country that didn't yet have electricity. So King Menelik ordered these, these chairs. To salvage his investment, Menelik used one of the chairs as his throne. I don't think he knew what he was doing. So there the king in Ethiopia sat. In modern terms, if it helps your thinking at all, when Jesus said, take up your cross, he says, go buy an electric chair. Sit in that electric chair. Same thing as bearing a cross, sitting in the electric chair. Seriously. It is an instrument of death. And as a Christian, we take on that instrument of death in our experience. What is our cross? I want to have several points that I want to bring out. Number one, it's the instrument of our death. A.W. Tozer, I want to quote, so the cross not only brings Christ's life to an end, it also ends the first life, the old life, of every one of his true followers. It destroys the old pattern, the Adam pattern in the believer's life, and brings it to an end. Then the God who raised Christ from the dead raises the believer and a new life begins. We must do something about the cross, and one of two things only we can do we can flee it or we can die upon it. If we are wise, we will do what Jesus did, endure the cross and despise its shame for the joy that is set before us. To do this is to submit the whole pattern of our lives to be destroyed and begin again the power of an endless life. What I'm asking us to do, and myself, is to embrace the cross. I don't like the cross. 
It's a horrible thing when you come down right down to it. It's not a, a beautiful thing. It's not a nice shiny little gold thing. It's a rough wooden place that people died. It's a terrible thing. But as Christians, Jesus is saying, if you want to be a follower of mine, you must embrace the cross. There's no other way. You don't have any other options. To embrace the cross and all that it represents, it is the instrument of our death. Paul said in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is death to self, it is death to my will, it is death to sin. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. I want to read the first seven verses from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, reading from the English Standard Version. It said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Unfortunately, the theology that is taught in many of our nominal Christian Protestant churches is a, a, a doctrine of simply uh, Christ's righteousness is implied to me and my sin were placed on Christ's head and he died for me and I'm all good. Everything's beautiful and I'm a Christian now forever and ever and ever. And that, that, that takes away the significance of the cross. The cross is so much more than a legal issue, the death of Christ. It was a legal issue. It was an accounting issue where, in fact, I am saved through the death of Christ. But I also, as a Christian, now must embrace the cross. I must. Otherwise, my old sin is not going to die. My old self is not going to die. By faith, I constantly take up that cross and die. Number two, the cross is our identification with Christ in his death. Jesus went to a cruel cross. As a Christian, I step out and identify with him in suffering. Willing to die, willing to give up my will for his will. Philippians 2 says, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by become a, be, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We identify with Christ. This is, this is a tough one. By faith, we identify with Christ. In other words, when Christ died 2,000 years ago, I was there. 
By faith, I was there. I identify with Christ. When they took Christ and they slammed him on the ground on top of that cross and drove those nails, spikes through his wrists and through his feet, I was there. By faith, I was there. I am crucified with Christ. I identify with him. If I want to live a new life of victory and identify with him in his resurrection, I first must die. I must die first before I can experience that victory of a new life. When Christ died, so did we. Number three, a cross is victory in our battle with sin. All of us want to overcome sin. I don't think there's anybody here as a Christian that doesn't want to overcome sin and doesn't struggle with victory over sin. We got to kill. We got to die. Sin doesn't die. Sin doesn't die. We die. That's what happens. Our old self must be crucified. By faith, we identify with Christ in his death. The wills of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the mind of the flesh, the wisdom of the flesh, the purposes of the flesh, the confidence of the flesh, the filthiness of the flesh, the workings of the flesh, the warring of the flesh, the glorying of the flesh. These must be crucified on a daily basis. It's not a one-time thing. Number four, our expression, the cross is our expression of faith in God and His working. There's a concept here that is very interesting to me. You remember the story of the Israelites when they came through the wilderness and they were camped on the east side of the Jordan River and they were told that the whole country of Israel is theirs. Everything over there in Canaan is theirs. And I can see someone who is a big preacher of by faith. I just stand over here and I claim that whole land of Israel by faith. Was that what they were to do? No, that is not what they were to do. They were to act on that, on that faith. That going on into the land of Canaan then was a substantiating of their faith. Their faith was placed that this land was going to be theirs but faith now becomes substantiated as I move forward and I take the actions that are necessary to, to conquer that old self and to put to death those deeds of the, of, of the body. Uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There is an old translation of that verse that I'd like to read. It's the Darby translation. I'm not sure if any of you have seen it. He, he translates it this way. Now, faith is the substantiating of things hoped for. The substantiating of things hoped for. The reality happening of things happening. We've got to move in. We've got to move in forward by faith. The cross is, is our way of moving forward by faith and actually having those things put to death. Experiencing victory 
He, uh, Romans 6, verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We experience that victory as we reckon or, or acknowledge that we are dead with Christ. Sin can have no more dominion or rulership over me. Number five and final point is submission of my will to his. I'm a very uh, visual person, a very uh, straightforward, simple-minded person. I don't deal well in obscure concepts. To me, the cross involves a submission of my will to his. I really want to do something some way. I really want to do something. That's my desire. That's my self coming to the front. I would like it to do this. Do I follow that or do I submit that to God's will? Do I give that up? When I give up my desire, my will, I am taking that old wooden cross and I'm slamming it on my shoulder. When I would so dearly love quit being a preacher, I want to give up. And God says, no. I'm taking that cross and I'm slamming it on my shoulder and I'm saying, you're well. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? That's what Jesus did. And as a Christian, you have to make decisions throughout your day and you want to, you want to do something or you don't want to do something. And you want, to, you want to follow your own inclinations. Taking up the cross is when you say, okay, Okay, I'll do it your way. It's a very, very concrete, literal action that we take. When I give up my will for his. The redemption of Christ, Andrew Murray says, has no reason, no object, and no possibility of success except in restoring man to do God's will. I give up as dead my own will. Now I trust him to run my life and submit with no reservation at every turn. When I pick up that cross daily, I submit to him. I give him control in my life. I surrender to his working in me. That is the cross. Um, there would be so much more that could be said about what our cross is. I'd like to take a break and sing a song. Let's stand together. Sing that old song, The Way of the Cross Leads Home. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall
the message this morning with a little bit of a look at practical cross-bearing. What does it mean that I take up my cross? What is that all about? It's a very practical tool. It accomplishes what it is intended to do. It's not some mystical symbol that I can wear around my neck. It's not smooth and shiny and beautiful. It works very well. The cross always worked very well. I embrace the cross because anyone who wants to follow Christ must do so. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. I'm not a masochist or a monk. But it, because it is the cross of Christ and I am his follower, I will do that. What am I embracing in the cross of Christ? Obviously not a piece of wood. Not necessarily physical suffering, although it can involve that. There will be some suffering. What will I embrace? What does the cross mean for me? Our text lists several different things, I believe, that the cross means as far as practical cross-bearing. And the first one I want to look at is that of isolation. Cross-bearing involves some isolation for the Christian. Yes, it does. You enjoy being with people. You enjoy relating to people. You enjoy, you love people, and you love being with people. But there is some isolation that is brought on by the cross of Christ. There is a separation now that happens between you and the person who has no interest in following the cross, in, in, in taking up the cross. There's a certain amount of isolation there. Hebrews 13, 13 says, Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. There's a certain amount of reproach. I, I tell you this right up front. You will not be the life of a, of a worldly party because you are not part of that gang anymore. When you came to Christ, you, there is some isolation. There is some reproach. You don't have to make yourself stupid and, and be purposely. You're not reproachful because you're an idiot. You're reproachful because they don't accept what you've accepted. And they're not going with you because it's not an easy thing. And so there is some isolation, there's some loneliness, there's some separation, not because we're weird, but because we make them uncomfortable and, and we're uncomfortable where they are. <laughs> Hebrews 11 speaks of the heroes of faith. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 
So there's a certain amount of isolation and rejection that we experience as Christians. Will you embrace that isolation? Yes, we're supposed to be out in the world and, and being a light to the world, but there is a measure of isolation that you cannot do away with if you are carrying your cross. The second one is disgrace. Practical cross-bearing. The word of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1 says, is foolishness or folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Speaking of Moses, Hebrews 11 says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he's looking to the reward. Hebrews 12, verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Galatians 6, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Are we willing to embrace some disgrace and shame? You're going to be made fun of in some settings. I don't know, maybe it's your workplace. That sideways glance, well, that's, that's Sam, he's a little different. There's a bit of shame that sometimes is there, and not maybe as much here in our uh, southern culture. They do, many of them do look up to Christians, but there are some that don't. And uh, there is a certain amount of shame, but there is some real joy in, in, in going that route also. The third part of, sac of, of practical cross-bearing is sacrifice. Hebrews 13 talks about that. He talks about the sacrifice of being pilgrims, not putting down roots here, setting our affection on things above. Hebrews 13, 14, For here we have no lasting a city, but we seek the city that is to come. Hebrews 11, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but as having seen them and greeted them afar, from afar, and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country. So there is a sacrifice of, of living as pilgrims here, not being home. There is a sacrifice of, of uh, praise, Continually offering up to God, confessing His name, witnessing to Christ out there, sometimes not easy to do. There is a sacrifice of compassion, of helping others. There are many sacrifices that we will be called upon to make, but they are joyful sacrifices. They are sacrifices that are Joyful As we learn to take up the cross, they bring us such joy. I want to wrap up then with just a little summary. There is a cross for each one of you to carry. Don't fool yourself. If you want to be a follower of Christ, you can't have your cake and eat it too. 
you can't just live a life of ease. Unfortunately, that the message that is preached out there in nominal Christianity is often just come to Christ. Everything's going to be beautiful. That's not where Jesus is going. You're not talking about the path that Jesus is taking. There is going to be a cross involved. There is a cross for each one of us. The cross is the instrument of our death, the death to self. It is a symbol of my commitment to give up my will and plans for God's. I identify with Christ in the way of the cross. The way of the cross is a practice is a practical Christianity that Christ says we must be part of to be his disciples. It's not optional. There are things that we have signed up for that are not always going to be optional. But like Jesus did, Hebrews says he looked ahead for the joy that would be his at the end of the, end of the line. My challenge to you is to take up your cross. You walk out of these doors today. Tomorrow morning you get up. Take up your cross. And that involves following Christ where he's going. Submitting your will to his. Doing those things that that are not always a piece of cake. Making the difficult choices because you are in fact a follower of Christ. God bless you and we'll call for a song at this time.